in a series on the book of James, just going verse by verse to the book of James, explaining the gospel. Uh, the reason I do this is the book of James is a very controversial book, uh, linking it up with the writings of Paul, where Paul's gospel is all about what God has done for man and how that's applied to our life. And James seems to have a different take, which is um, focused on your obedience to God. Um, your obedience to the law. Uh, in the book of James, there are verses like, um, if you break one law, uh, you've broken them all. James comes and he quotes from, from the old law and gives guidance from the old law in this life unto a holy life and all those kind of things which can uh, bring uh, uh, double-mindedness to the church. And I just felt it, uh, it's important to, uh, to minister on this. Now, I, I've got a series on the web on the book of James, which I made long ago, I think it was even before I started, we started this fellowship, and I was just thinking it's necessary to have this year. Um, and in the meantime, I saw so many other things in the gospel, understand the grace message more, so that we can even explain it better. Um, amen. So now, uh, we're in our third session on the first chapter of the book of James, and I think we're going to end, end uh, the first chapter today. Uh, now, in the book of James, a little bit of background. It was written to people, to Jewish people that were scattered, um, that believed in Jesus. So it was Christians living in little towns around Jerusalem um, and that area uh, that believed in Jesus. And then through persecution and through a mixing of the gospel, a wrong mindset, they wanted to go back to Judaism. Um, and they, they felt that God led them that way. They felt that God gave them wisdom. Uh, last week we talked about... Uh, wisdom and the week before. How do we have wisdom in this world? How do we apply true wisdom in this life? Wisdom not being human wisdom, but God's wisdom. God's wisdom is the finished work of Christ applied to your life. Amen. You might go through hard times. You might struggle with things in your life. You don't know, how am I, what am I going to do in this job situation? What am I going to do in this relationship situation? What am I going to do with my emotions? Uh, wisdom would be Christ applied to that situation. These people were persecuted for the gospel and they wanted wisdom. What must we do? And then they felt the wisest thing to do is to go back to the law system because then they will not be persecuted anymore because they were persecuted by the people that believed in works righteousness. You can even go and read this in the book of Acts chapter 19 where uh, Paul came and he preached in, um, amongst the Gentiles. And when he preached amongst the Gentiles, he one day went up to Jerusalem to see James, which was the, the big Induna, you know, the big pastor of the church in Jerusalem, which had thousands of members. And um, Paul would preach things like, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to follow the Jewish customs. Um, he preached that amongst the Jews in these places that were scattered, you know. And then those Jews got upset and they uh, would like, if they could phone, they would have phoned uh, James and told James about this. And the church in Jerusalem became very upset with Paul because of what he preached. Because the church in Jerusalem was still zealous for the law. The Bible says they were believers in Christ, yet still zealous for the law. And when Paul came to Jerusalem, he was actually worried and James was also worried James actually having a bit of a revelation of grace said to Paul we've got a big problem now because the people the church has heard what you preached among the other Jews and the, the church is still zealous for the law and what are we going to do because the church is going to kill you physically kill you because they were still living a mixed gospel life where the focus was on works now, the law is the ministration of death. So if you're under the law, the end of it all is death. That's what Paul said. Jesus said it. He said, you want to kill me because you are your father the devil. The law is called the ministration of death. So uh, James was writing to the people that were scattered, which are trying, to, I, I believe, to end this grace-law mixture mentality. And uh, bring them to the true gospel. So a lot of the stuff he says here, if we understand what he says, uh, is a wonderful grace message which, which can empower your life. You know, the gospel of Jesus is a gospel of 
how God served you to bring forth His life in, into your life. Not as a matter of you trying to obey rules and regulations, but it's a matter of birth. He, he will birth new emotions in your life. He will give birth to new actions in your life. Um, so it is not us trying to change. It is, it is us being intimate with a God that loves us, that cares for us, that's not sin conscious, but righteousness conscious. And our belief in this truth gives us access to the power of His resurrection where He gives where He resurrects who He is in our lives. Amen. So it's all about Christ being resurrected in your life through us being persuaded of what He is persuaded of. Now, God did not just come with a theory in the gospel saying, well, I'm just going to call you righteous. You know, I'm just going to say, well, I, I don't think of your sins anymore or anything like that. No. What God did in Jesus was He first made it true. In other words, He first took away your sin so that He could believe that your sins has been taken away. That it's not a theory, but it's something based on reality. Okay, And then he first came and he, he as a human being died, was raised as a human being in a new kind of a life by the power of the Holy Spirit representing every man. And from that truth and reality, he preaches and shares with us. And in the same way, the Bible says to us who believe his power works in us, which is the resurrection power, according to Ephesians 1. So... Um, the power that gives you a new life is not your willpower, but the power of His resurrection. So I want to say this. Under the law, you resisted sin. Under the law, you wanted to live a holy life. You looked at the standard of living. You thought, I'm going to live up to this new standard of life. And the power you had to, to use was the power of your will. But what God says, what happened in Jesus Christ is something completely different. He took away the old man, and by us believing in him, the power that raised him from the dead, raises you from the death in the situation where you are in, into his kind of a life. So it's not your willpower trying to bring something forth. It's the power of the Almighty that raised Jesus from the dead, that raises you from the death in that situation you are in. Listen, that's a different kind of a life, man. <laughs> it is something completely different. We are, we make ourselves available to the resurrection life of Christ. And when Christ was raised from the dead, He was raised from the dead never to die again. The problem we have with the law mentality is we try to raise ourselves up into a new kind of a life, copying God, but that will always die. Because it's not the resurrection life of Christ that, that gave birth and raised you up from the dead. It's you trying to give life by your own ability and it will always die. Because it doesn't have the ability or the, uh, um, the attribute of immortality. Okay, because the life of Christ is raised into eternal victory, eternal life. So we're not going to try and copy God. We're not going to try and copy the old system. We're not going to try and mix the old system in with our system. We're not going to believe that the Holy Spirit gives us the power to fulfill the law by doing the things of the law. No, no, it's a new life. The, the law's got nothing against this life, but this life has got nothing to do with the law. Let me explain to you this way. I don't use the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the, 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 the Muslim law. The Muslim law says, pay your tithe. The Muslim law says, love your neighbor. The Muslim law says, live a holy life. The Muslim law says, pray. Do I pray? Yes. Do I give? Yes. Do I uh, love my neighbor? Yes. Why? Because of the resurrection power of Christ. Am I using this power to try and fulfill the Muslim law? No. So why do I want to use this power to fulfill the Jewish law? No. My resurrection power has got nothing to do with the fulfillment of the law. 
Okay, the law is fulfilled by love, meaning that the law's got nothing against love, but the love that I have is not an empowerment to obey the law. It's something completely different. You, you know, the, the, the more I study the gospel, the more I study the message of God's unconditional love, the more I realize that we've been dumped so deep into death by tradition and our own ability to try and reach the levels and the standards of God that we struggle to understand what God is really trying to say and what happened in Christ. I don't want a good emotion by just stuff happening around me. You want it to be born by the resurrection power of God. Then you will forever feel happy. And it will not be able to die. Amen. Right, so uh, uh, James comes and he, and he talks about to these people and he says to them, you know, you, you Jewish people, what you do is you think that God's leading you to go back to the Jewish system and you are persecuted now, going through hard times, and you think God's maybe leading you through this hard time for some reason to try and give you wisdom to go back to the old system. He says, no, if you are persecuted for the gospel's sake, be happy. Because what it is showing actually is you are not part of the other system. So if the condemnation system, the system of works righteousness, manipulation and control is upset with you, it means something. It means you're still in the correct thing. Okay? That's what it was basically, basically telling them. Then um, the, the first book of James goes a lot about money and the Jews' concept about money and how money works and I need to explain this to you before we start to read the, uh, 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 James oh I'm first going to read let me just read that you can have a bit of a, an idea here it says in James 1 verse 7 says for let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord a double minded man is unstable in all his ways he says listen if you ask God for wisdom don't be double minded your mind in the love of God and the grace of God and the other side in the law, thinking when you ask from that perspective that God will answer you according to the old, to lead you back to the old, to bring you into the old, to make it work. Practical explanation, practical uh, um, example of that would be finances. I see a lot of people fall into that when they're under pressure, uh, especially church leaders. Um, you know, when, when the economy drops and uh, we need money in the church, we've always preached grace. But now, the moment the, the financial thing is not what it was, we start to preach commitment. We start to preach tithing again, which we never preach. We always said, no, it's as you feel, you know. But now, you, we start to preach things which is commitment orientated. Um, you must come to church. Because if the guy comes to church he, he, and, and the plate goes by, there's going to be money in the plate. I'm going to explain to you today why the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. You know, the love of money is the root of all evil. Even the root that caused Satan to fall. I'm going to try and explain that today. The love of money. So, so we, don't want, we, we, we don't want to mix the two things because our congregation will be hurt, our own lives will be in turmoil because it's a mixture. So if you still got in the back of your mind that God can lead me back to the old tithing system, you're double-minded. And when you ask God for wisdom, you will hear God plus you will also hear the law and you'll mix the two things and what you receive is not from God. Although God is speaking, you'll hear what He says but you'll mix it with something else. I spoke to a good friend of mine um, which is a, a prophet in, in, in Cape Town. He came to my house and we were just fellowshipping around grace. And uh, this is what, what we came down to. We said, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, even a lot of the people that were prophetic under the law, they would hear God's voice. But, but, but what they hear is subject to their spirit, which was the spirit of the law. So they will hear something that's really from God, but then they'll mix it with the law in their heart, and then they'll give you the word, which is then not the wisdom of God. Okay. But if his heart can get established in grace, he doesn't have, he's not double-minded anymore. When he gets a word, he gives it in the spirit of grace, which is God's word for your life. Amen. A prophet's life can change so much by just getting the revelation of the gospel. So, um, 
this is a little bit of the background here. So they wanted this wisdom. They, they wanted to know what's the right thing to do. But then he says, let's not be double-minded. Um, verse 9 says, let the brother of low degree, now listen, he talks about money all of a sudden. Let the brother of low degree rejoice that he's exalted, but the rich that he's made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withers the grass, and the flower thereof falls off, and the grace of its fashion is, uh, is perishes. So shall the rich man fade away in his ways. So, all of a sudden, now listen to what he talks about, and we need to understand this because when we get into chapter 2 next week, we're going to see more of chapter 2. He says, listen, I don't want you to be double-minded. Let the man that's poor financially... Thank God for his exaltation. But let the rich that is made low. Now what did the Jew understand around that? Now, as I made my study on this, I, I, I got onto some very interesting stuff. Um, the Jewish people believed in, in the afterlife, and they called that the um, Olam Haba. And the, the present life was called Alam Hazeh, which they believe that the present life, how you live here, is an indication of how you will live in the afterlife. Because of Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 says the following, and let me read it to you. Um, it says from verse 1, And it shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all His commandments which are commanded this day, that the Lord thy God will set you on high above all nations of the earth. Okay, so they believed that if we obey God, then the Messiah will come in Olam uh, 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 okay, which is the afterlife. They didn't actually believe in just the spiritual afterlife. The afterlife was the return of Christ or the, the coming of Christ and then to establish His physical kingdom on the earth. And when Christ established His physical kingdom on the earth, we will be, or the, the people who live the holy life, will be set above all the nations because they will be part of Jesus' kingdom ruling all, over all the other nations. Okay, And if you obey all these things, this is what will happen. He will put you there, but you'll be blessed financially. You'll be blessed in every area of your life. So then they came to this conclusion. If you are rich financially, it means that in the life of the return of Christ, the Olem Abba, you will be high up in that kingdom. For obviously, you are very obedient and your financial prosperity proves God, uh, uh, proves that God approves of you and that you'll be part of that. So what these people then did was they befriended the rich. Because when Christ comes, they'll have a buddy. That's really what these people did. And they thought, this is the wisdom of God. Because all of a sudden he comes here and if you really go into chapter 2, he says, why do you honor the rich? Aren't they the people that put you in jail? Why do you honor the rich? They honored the rich above the believer, for they still had the, uh, the system of Deuteronomy 28 of the law, which says how you live in this world determines where you'll go. And what they believed is if you're fully obedient and the higher level of obedience, the better place you'll have in the Olem Abba when Jesus comes or the Messiah comes then Jesus comes with something completely different. He, believed, he said, listen, let the rich say, through Christ I'm made low, and rejoice in it. In actual, in, actual, in actual fact, let the rich man say, thank God that I'm not under a system anymore where my riches indicates who I am. And I'm being placed at a place where I'm not high because of prosperity, but I am made low in connection with the Jewish system. I made nothing. But in Christ, I'm high. Let the man that is poor rather say, Thank God Christ has elevated me because I was disqualified by the old law system, but I've been made qualified by Christ. Amen. That's what he says there in James. 
Because this was what these Jewish people were believing. Completely a mixed gospel. And now we go as Christians, we look at the commandment there that says, let the poor, let the rich say, you know, basically, um, you know, I'm being made low. We don't know how to preach that to the rich in the church. You know, well, what, what do you say to a rich man now? That you, you're going to be made low. Oh, we never want that because we want the rich man to be rich in our church so that he can give his tithe. Okay? And the poor man, you know, that he is lifted, then we think the poor man's lifted, he's going to get more money. But that's not what he's talking about there. He's talking about a Jewish system which was ended by Christ. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 19. The rich man and Lazarus, the rich man, a Jew that was rich, fully qualified to be part of the kingdom of Jesus when he comes. He dies. And Lazarus, a beggar, now already according to the Jewish system, a cursed person who's not going to be part of. It's already a pre-indication of where he's going to be. He's not going to be part of Olam uh, He's not going to be part of the reign of Christ. Because they also believed that uh, uh, people like um, uh, 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 the people that died in the flood of Noah, I just read up on this on the web, the people that flood in the, died in the flood of Noah, they will go to, uh, um, they will not ha be part of the reign of the Messiah. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah would not be part of, because they cursed. Okay, in the same way, you look at a beggar, obviously he's cursed. Obviously, I mean, he doesn't have any money. He's begging, he doesn't have family, plus he lies on the street and the dogs, a dog was an a, a, a unclean thing, according to the Jews, was licking his wounds. So ceremonially he was completely disqualified to ever be part of the reign of the Messiah. But then the poor man died, the beggar. And the beggar opened his eyes in the bosom of Abraham. Why the bosom of Abraham? The bosom talks about the heart of Abraham. What was the heart of Abraham? It was the heart of a believer. The Bible, who, who are the children of Abraham? The Bible says the believers are the children of Abraham, not the Jews. The believer. Now, I don't have time to go on to, in, into a teaching. You get the physical descendants, and then you get the spiritual descendants of Abraham, of which Jesus was the first one, and we are in Christ. Uh, as believers, we are the descendants of Abraham. Hallelujah. He opened himself up in the bosom of Abraham. In other words, he opened himself up in the place where believers would be. And then the rich man opened, the, opened his eyes in a place of torment. Then, this is what Abraham said. Abraham said, you had all the good when you were in, on the earth, and he was suffering. So now he's got the good, and you are suffering. Completely, Jesus completely contradicting the Jewish system which says, if you obey, you are blessed. So if you are blessed by the Lord, it's an indication of what will happen in the return of Christ. Saying it doesn't work like that. There's a different law. It, 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 obedience to the law, even with a proof of prosperity, has got no indication actually saying that the place of blessing is the, is the bosom of Abraham. Then the rich man said, please put a drop of water on my tongue. It's not because he said swear words and I went to hell for it. I believe the tongue talks about doctrine and what he believed. Water talks about the word of God. He says, put the Spirit's word on my tongue. I want a different way of belief for I am eternally bound in what I believed. I don't want to live in this hell of my unbelief in God where I believed that I am something by my works. Where my riches gives an indication to who I am. I don't want to believe that anymore. It is tormenting me with a great torment. But Lazarus was just somebody who believed in Jesus who found no value in because he was in the bosom of Abraham, it indicates to a believer, he, was in, he, he didn't have any value to, does the dog lick my wound or not? Am I rich or not? Because Jesus said, let the rich say, thank God, 
I'm not in this old system of I am what I do and my riches determines my future. Let the poor man say, thank God that's for the very same thing. And this is what these Jewish people were struggling with. And they were going back honoring the rich. Because, and that was a sign of believing that the old system still works. Well, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I want to read you a verse in, um, just to, Bullock has me give water, and I glass water, that brings a belief. Where's that verse now? Sorry. Now what happened to that verse now? I did paste it in here. Uh, Matthew 19.23 Then said Jesus unto the disciples, Verily I say unto you, The rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And And again I say unto you, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Next verse. When his disciples heard this, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? Okay. Because they believe the rich will definitely be saved. Jesus said, It's more easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. To go into the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, the reign of the Messiah in His return. Then they said, who then? They were, the Bible says, exceedingly amazed. Who then can be saved? As good as what I come to you now and I say to you, it's easier, it's, it's easier for, um, let's take Hitler's time. It was easier for a Jew to be accepted by Hitler than for a grace-preaching believer to enter the kingdom of God. You will be exceedingly amazed. Because the foundation of how people are saved is by grace. Now you are taking away this whole system of how people are saved. And this is what they believe. That's why they were exceedingly amazed. How can this be? This is, this is impossible. And James comes and he corrects their belief. He says, why are you doing all these things? You know, Let's not mix the two Gospels with each other. Now listen to this, verse 12. um, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to them that love him. So now James comes, he says, listen, I don't want you to fall back into the old Jewish system. If you are tried, that word tried means basically, if, you're, if you don't lose your persuasion of what Christ has done, that's what it means. You will receive the life God has promised. In other words, the Jews then understood it as the Olamaba. You will receive, you will be part of the kingdom of God when Jesus Christ returns to this earth. And everything will be made new. And uh, I mean, the old, the old Jewish, ancient Jews believed that in the, retu- in the coming of Christ, you, you will not... Um, do sowing and reaping, you will not do, um, there will be no commerce, there will be nothing like sickness or disease like what we call heaven, okay, in the return of Jesus. He says you will be part of that because he promised if you continue to believe in how he makes you righteous by his doing and you don't go back to this old system. Right, that's what he tries to say here. Um, Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. This is, this is an awesome, powerful message. He says, when you are tempted, what was the temptation that they were tempted with? To go back to the old. They, were, they went back to the old. As church leaders, those of you that watch by the internet, if you're a church leader, don't, you, you know, when you are tempted to go back to the old system of 
you must be committed to church teaching, you must tithe, you must sow and reap, you must do all those things. I want to tell you, God does not tempt you. It's not God bringing that temptation. The Bible says a man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desire. It's not from God. The Bible says, and God cannot be tempted. Meaning, nothing, God is outside the realm of where He can be drawn to a place where He wants to put a law on you. He cannot be tempted. Neither tempts He any man with evil. Remember what I, I've said so many times here, what the word evil means. The word evil means to be full of labor. God cannot be tempted to make your life full of law labor. So in other words, if there's not enough money in the church, God's not going to be tempted to get you back to the old system, to get His system to work. He's not going to be tempted. If you're tempted by that, because these people say, God is telling me to do this. James says, this is temptation. This is not God leading you. This is temptation to fall, man. They thought it's the guidance of God. James says, this is temptation. And you're drawn away by your own desire. Not God. And then the context here was not desire for sin, or desire for a woman, or desire to lie or steal, or not go to church. That was not what he's talking about. Because, listen to, listen to this verse. Every man, uh, let no man say when I'm tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, not tempt any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust or desire and enticed or ensnared. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. So you're not tempted to sin, you're tempted to do something else which will bring forth sin. Do you understand it? So, temptation is not, well, I'm tempted to go and steal. No, no, no. I, I almost want to say you can't be tempted to go and steal. Or tempted to go and lust. Or tempted for anything like that. You are tempted to stand under a system which will bring forth sins. So true temptation for these people would then be the following. And he even calls the sins. You are tempted because you want to be, you, are, you love money, you love to say, when it goes well with me, I know it's well with God. That's what you want to do. You want to base your relationship with God on the things of this world. That's the desire that's in you. Okay? Now you feel God is leading you back to the old law system. Now you go back to the old law system and now it brings forth sin. What was the sin? They told the poor people, you go and sit over there. You rich person, you come and sit over here. I give you special attention and you step on the people, mistreat them, abuse the poor to be your servants and sit under your footstool. Actually not honoring the very flesh of Jesus and what Jesus Christ has done and it brings forth sin. The sin of uh, being biased, the sin of looking at people based on their works, the sin of discrimination, and from there, the root of all evil comes forth. Because they were tempted to go back to the old. When you're under the old, you're not tempted to sin. When you're under the old, you are a slave of sin. You cannot stop it. It will bring forth sin. So true temptation, my friend, is not towards sin. True temptation is towards going to the old system which will bring forth sins. And then as you continue under the enslavement of the old system which manifests sins in your life, you find it destroys your life. My goodness. And if we can start to grasp these things, we will, we will know the urgency and the uh, importance of staying in the place where we are fully identified with who He is and what He has done for us. And we will not want to hear anything, identify our lives with anything else, but the truth of the resurrection of Christ, where He resurrects our lives in... Uh, our true lives, which is His life, in our bodies. Glory to God. And as we were slaves of the sin, we are slaves of righteousness. And we find we love the poor. We love the widow and the orphan. 
and we care for people, not based on our willpower. And this is what he says um, at the end. He says, a true religion, true undefiled religion is to care for the widow and the stranger. But he was actually saying, a true religion is to have no value in the rich, how rich people is, but to see people for who they truly are, and you can even find, uh, see the value of a widow. Which cannot, I mean, uh, the, there was a special offering for the widows, because, which God says, let's provide for the widows. Because people would not care for them, because they meant nothing. The old Jewish system, the, the, the wife means nothing. Only the husband. Now the husband's dead. Now who's she now? She's just a nothing. So in the old system, you look at the nothing and you can see value in it. That's true religion. True Christianity is when you, you've been so set free from this old system of you are judged by the things of this world. And that's what James is trying to say here. Temptation, my friend, I want to tell you, uh, uh, um, if temptation comes, the devil's tempt the, the temptation, according to Peter even, was not to get you to try and sin. It's to get you to be tempted and to, to try and show you the beauty of something that is not beautiful. And when you are enslaved by that, it will bring forth sin. And that's the whole path of destruction and death. To the point that you can even eventually reject Jesus. No, but God, you know, if you existed, I would have been out of my problem by now. What happens there? Your identity is placed on the things of this world. Your riches in this world. But God, you know, and not that I say God cannot take you out of the problem. God takes people out of problems. And that's it. And that is my hope, my, my confident expectation of what God does for every person. If my wife is ill, if my children are ill, I lay hands on them. You know, with an expectation of the healing power of God, making use of the finished work of Jesus, seeing signs, wonders and miracles. Amen. If I see this, there's no money in the bank or whatever, I call upon who God is. My Father that loves me, that cares for me, that finds value in me. And I rest my mind in who He is and I see the provision of God. And the same with any emotional thing or anything in your life. That is what we do. But the moment we become rich in our, let me put it this way, the moment our riches corrupts our heart we fall the Lucifer fall if you, I don't have time to read this now but you can go to Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 28 from verse 14 talks, I think it talks about the king of Tyrus or something which is a type and a shadow of Satan when he fell he says you were perfect in the day I created you but listen to what he says now he says but the abundance of your merchandise has corrupted your heart. Meaning, they st he st they st his belief of who he is was corrupted by the abundance of his possessions. Because his possessions went to his heart. I am who I am by what I possess. My future is determined by my riches and what I can, get, what I can do in this life. And, and that is why the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay? Because the abundance of merchandise. If you look at, at Satan, it takes a type and a shadow. Merchandise, it was a physical king, but a type and a shadow. All the merchandise, all the money he had, the wealth he had in this world went to his heart. And his belief was based on his prosperity. And when, he, when his belief was based on his prosperity, from there came forth all kinds of evil on how to get money, how to get more, how to step on people, how to destroy things, all kinds of laws and regulations and rules came from there. You know what the Bible says, and God said to, 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 to Satan, He says, from within you a fire will arise and you will become dust and nothing. Because of this great evil you've done. And here James comes and he tells them, listen man, you are busy with the old system which was born from Satan. 
I'm not a a condemnation preacher, but I want to tell you the value of Christ's work and the death of the other system. So that our hearts can stay established in the finished work of Jesus. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, it brings forth death. 1 Timothy 6, six verse 9 to 11. But they that want to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drawn men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. There I put in my notes here, Satan, Lucifer, merchandise, Ezekiel 28 verse 14, and Pharaoh. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. And pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Ezekiel 28, let's read that verse. You was per- thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that I've created you, till iniquity was found within you. By the multitude of your merchandise, they have filled the midst of you with violence. And you have sinned. You see, they first believed. He first believed in something wrong, and that brought forth sin. Now, if we read on in James, it says there in verse 16, Do not err, my beloved brethren, every good and perfect, complete, eternal, needing nothing to be added, gift, that would give us the word grace, is from above, who comes from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So what he says here, listen people, the perfect gift comes from above. That word perfect doesn't mean perfect like we think perfect. It's got the word eternal. Actually, it's so correct that it will never pass away. Nothing else will ever be needed. It's eternal. Okay? There will never be something better. This is what he says, the eternal gift of grace was given and God with him is no shadow of turning. Meaning, I want to tell you Jews, God gave this perfect thing in Christ and he will never ever turn away from it. This is the eternal complete gift. And there's no other sacrifice. So you Jews, or, you know, we become so law-bound in church, we can say to the church, So church, I want to tell you, God abradeth not. Meaning, He will take no account of the past at all. He's not going to be with us and then have a shadow of turning, turning back to the old. He sticks with the new and He'll stick with it for eternity, for it is perfect and complete. Amen. Amen. Then it goes on and it says the following. Verse, uh, verse 21 it says, I'm ending off with this, I'm just going to be quick. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So he says, listen guys, lay away now all this filthiness that you're busy with. What was the filthiness? It was going back to the old system, producing sins in their lives. Let's, lay the, let's get back to the truth. Let's, have, let's receive. How will they lay, lay aside all this naughtiness and filthiness? He says, by receiving with meekness the word of God which will save your soul. Soul, your mind, your will and your emotions. So how do we lay down? By receiving the message of grace. It's not you laying down, it's not you stopping your rubbish, then God will love you, and then you receive the word. No, no. The way we lay down the old is by receiving the new, which saves our soul. Because these people's souls went lost. The soul is your mind. They lost their mind. How did they lose their mind? They, they were walking in the mind of Christ, then they lost that and went back to the old mind of Satan. That's the saving of the soul. Verse 22, But be doers of the word. Oh, you're going to be blessed with this. Be, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if you be a hearer of the word, not a doer, is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forget what manner of man he was. Now listen to this. He says, 
Be a doer of the word. A man who is not a doer of the word is somebody who looks into the mirror and he looks at his natural face. Okay? He looks to the Jew. This meant something. They looked at who they were based on their flesh. I'm a Jew. Because I'm a Jew, I am the people of God. And because I'm the people of God, it means I'm blessed because I've got human flesh, or Jewish flesh. Okay? So they were back in the Jewism. They looked at their natural face. They looked, like if, if I look at my natural face, I will look at myself as, I'm a South Afrikaans-speaking Bursian. Okay? You look at your natural face, I'm a German, I'm an Englishman, I'm from Scotland. He says, the moment you look at your natural face, you have forgotten. The moment you do it, you forget what kind of man you are. You cannot look at your natural face. The moment you look at it, it's not then you will forget what kind of man you are. The moment you look at it, you forgot what kind of man you are. But if you look into the perfect law of liberty, why liberty? We've been liberated from our mother's womb. We've been liberated from being Jews. This is what he was writing. We have been liberated completely from this, the, the, the system of the law. We've been, when you look into how you have been liberated unto the new kind of man you are, which is the life of Christ is your life, when you look at that, he says, and you continue to look into that, you'll be blessed in your deed. Then he says a pure religion is to visit the widows and the strangers, saying, listen man, when you're really looking into the truth, you'll find you value every person. Isn't that beautiful? So let's be doers of the word. What's a doer of the word? By looking into how you've been liberated. One of the ways of looking into it, and I end off with this, is when I look into how I've been liberated from the enslavement of the law, which manifests sins in my life, which brings forth death. When you're looking, I have been liberated from that. You find blessing because of the resurrection power of God, not you trying to change. Glory to God for the gospel, man. Let's share this gospel to people all over the world. Let's, like the Bible says, let's awake unto righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. God's God's gospel is not threatened by man's inability to live right every day. God does not feel, oh my goodness, I make, must make another plan for they don't get it right every day. God is secure in what Christ has done. Let's enter into His security. The word saved, one of the meanings of the word saved is to be kept safe. If you want to be kept safe from the flesh, the power of sins, the power of condemnation is one place where you can be kept safe. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith. Grace keeps you safe by your persuasion of what is done for you. Let's stay in that and you'll be kept safe from the condemnation of this world. He loves you, man. Amen, amen. Let's close eyes. Father, I want to thank you that you care for us. I want to thank you, my God, that your love is so great. I thank you that your hands are stretched forth towards us. Thank you, Lord, for the awesome logic of God, the wisdom of God, and that we can know it, and we can stand here in Durbanville and we can know your great love. We can know your awesome, your eyes looking at us. Eyes of acceptance, not eyes of rejection. Thank you, my God, that we can know how things work in the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord, for inspiring James to write this deep book. That we can see this letter and we can see the gems hidden in every verse. Thank you, my God, that we, like Lazarus, we are in the bosom of Abraham. And we will be part, <laughs> and now already are, but we will be part of the physical kingdom.
kingdom of Jesus, which He will establish on this earth, and a glorified planet, a glorified human flesh, where we live in immortality, in your reign, not judging ourselves by the length of our riches, by our relationships, by the things of this world, because we've got a higher knowledge, a deeper truth, a real truth. Hallelujah. I just want to pray for my sis. You know, she's been going through some rough times. And let's just stretch forth our hands to her. Father, I thank you for your love for Yana. I thank you that you care for her. I thank you, my God, that we don't have to try and sort out our lives. That makes us tired. We thank you, Lord, that we just accept your life. You don't offer a changed life. You offer your life. And I thank you, my God, free from any pressure or any obligation from our side. We enter into how you love us and how you love her. And in the Spirit, I can just see this radiance of God's love, this radiance of His goodness just going through you, Yana, right now. Through your heart, through your mind, your, your, your spirit, uh, every, uh, all imbalances, whatever, and just washes you. It washes you. And, and, and just balance comes by the resurrection power of Jesus. And He resurrects your emotions. He resurrects your situation, your body, your everything by His power into newness of life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And we just stand all in agreement right now on the finished work of Jesus. And we make use of this truth. You say you lay your hands on the sick and they shall recover. And thank you for signs, wonders and miracles. And my sis is healed now. Thank you, Lord. We know that the healing that came 2,000 years ago manifests now. Therefore we say she's healed now in this world. And thank you, Lord, that we can love her and bless her as an awesome person in which we see Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Isn't God wonderful? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. You know, thank you for everybody that came. I I trust this word will bless you. I mean, I said a lot. Please uh, order the CD or the DVD. We want to give it to you. Um, Listen to it five times. It's a lot of depth in this. And uh, it can really bless your life. And uh, if anybody else wants prayer, you can come. If you feel generosity in your heart, you can give. Um, Thank you. And I want to thank you for your financial contributions. Really a blessing. Wonderful. Thank you, guys.